so we've been talking about wilderness 40 um i think for the last three weeks and i think we've got another 20 days or three weeks left uh, on the same topic um so today if you want a title for it it's wilderness 40 essential service wilderness 40 essential service that's the title Wilderness 40's essential service. So we were saying uh, three weeks ago that this is that time when the church needs to prepare for a post-COVID landscape. Businesses are doing it, airlines are doing it, nations are doing it, but perhaps the only institution that isn't necessarily planning for it, because we are really enamored with live stream now, is the church. And so we were saying that the post-COVID landscape has to be prepared for. And one of the ways we prepare it is by withdrawing into the wilderness like Jesus did, where he spent 40 days and nights. And so if we followed the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. We drew aside. We, and like I said last week, it's fascinating how you guys have been uh, taking time to either fast or to um, draw aside in ways that I quite marvel at. And so why do we draw aside? We draw aside so that God can be revealed like we've never seen him before. And that after these next three weeks, we return with power to seed or restore the post-COVID landscape that awaits. We, our intent is to seed the post-COVID landscape that awaits. And different churches across the earth are doing this. In India, in South Africa, in UK, I've been talking to the leaders there, and they are going down the same road. So we withdrew because we were led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and we return with a fresh revelation of God. We return with power. We return to seed the post-COVID landscape with what God wants. So what I want to ask today, or what I want to plan for us as both a local church and for churches around the earth, what I want to plan for us today is when the next COVID comes along, how can we be an essential service? Why is it that the church is labeled a non-essential service during a global crisis? Why is it that the church has been labeled a non-essential service during a global crisis? We should be an essential service, but we are not. Anywhere on the earth, eh, the church is a non-essential service. Doesn't matter which nation you take. And so why is the church labeled a non-essential service during a global crisis? Uh, and perhaps part of the reason can be found, and both the reason and the solution can be, oh, and just texted saying, Dagmar is very happy to watch the service online and thrilled that you mentioned that she came home. She says she had so many CD scans, PET scans, x-rays, three COVID tests, blood work, and still I made it. She says, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, church, for praying for me. Blessings. Okay. Hey, Anne, uh, you didn't hear the church uh, respond. It was very loud, and uh, <laughs> I can get away with it on, <laughs> on life. Yeah. Uh, so why is the church a non-essential service? If you go to Matthew 5, uh, turn to the message version. Matthew 5, verse 15 and 16. 
perhaps that's one reason why the church is a non-essential service. In, that, in those scriptures, you perhaps have both the reason and the solution. Matthew 5, 15 and 16, I'm reading from the message. And it says in Matthew 5, 15, uh, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. I mean, it goes back to that Graham Kendrick song, Shine Jesus, that we just sang. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. One more time. Matthew 5, 15 and 16 from the message. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So the thing is, guys, part of the reason that I believe the church is a non-essential service is because we are a light on a hilltop, but we are covered with a bucket. I'm quite happy with that. And one of the ways we can prepare for a post-COVID landscape is by making sure that we no longer... Yep. Sorry, use a different pen. Okay. So that we no longer are hidden and that we have open houses, open lives, generous living, shining light, light bearers. And we'll talk about all this. But here's the thing, guys. Whenever a church, whenever God talks about a church, he's talking about people, which then means that we're not looking at an institution that behaves this way. We are looking at a group of people who collectively behave this way. And when a group of people collectively begins to behave this way, you become essential in your workplace, in your neighborhood, to your extended family, to your relatives, to the streets you live in, to the spheres you occupy, to the strata in society that you hold, in the spheres of your influence, you become essential. That is how the church continues to be essential. What's happening now is a church will decide through its pastors and through its ministries and professionals that we will distribute food out there or we will take care of a few sick or we will send money. It's an institution that does that. The church will remain non-essential as long as it is not the saints that do the work. And where the church has failed and is so unlike the New Testament church is that people don't necessarily recognize that there is someone who follows Christ who is now essential to my life who I cannot do without. I will never meet Mike and Karen's neighbors. But Mike and Karen must begin to life, live their lives in a way that makes them absolutely essential to their immediate neighbors. I'll never meet the people who walk up to Lorian's desk at Lufthansa. 
But in little things, she now becomes absolutely essential to their lives. This is how the church moves from being non-essential to essential. Where we got stuck is that everything happens within these walls for two or three hours on a Sunday run by professionals or run by clergy or run by ministries that are paid and nobody else participates. Everybody just funds it or volunteers occasionally. And that will not cut it in today's world. It won't. And so what we want to look at is, Father, what are the six or seven different things that we can begin to do so that we become an absolutely essential service going forward that no one will ever label as non-essential. Any questions? Any questions, guys? Hey, it's okay for people to become highly dependent on you till they meet Christ and still continue to be dependent on you as they grow. Don't point them to Jesus immediately. Let them come to you. There's this thing we have in our heads that if anybody comes to us, point them to Jesus. Jesus is invisible. You are visible. Let them come to you. Let them become heavily dependent on you. Let them meet Jesus and let them begin, then begin to shift the weight of the person on your shoulder onto Jesus. Let them ask you for counsel. You know what Malachi said? He said that knowledge should be found on the lips of the priests. Yeah, so knowledge is found on the lips of the priest. Make people dependent on you. Don't shy away from it. And then after they get dependent on you and you keep introducing Jesus to them, shift them onto Jesus. It's the right way to go about stuff. Let them come to you for healing. It's Jesus who heals through you. Let them come to you for counsel. It is the Holy Spirit who counsels through you. Let them come to you for help. You are God's gift to mankind. Sounds ridiculous, but it is true. So let's look at a few ways that we can make ourselves an essential service to people around us. The first one is, guys, decide that we will reveal the Father's goodness and, the zest, and his zest for life in all circumstances. That's where we start. 
And this is not, this does not happen within the church, this happens outside the church. This does not happen within the church, this happens outside the church. Every day, decide, guys, these are things we must covenant with, because we're not playing the fool here. We said that the Holy Spirit is leading us into the wilderness to prepare us for a post-COVID landscape. Businesses take it seriously. Air Canada is taking it seriously. The uh, Trudeau's government is taking it seriously. That there is a time coming when things are going to be set right, and it's a new world that is going to come up after COVID. And so how do you plan for it? Sorry? For, uh, and a zest for life in all circumstances. And so we need to plan thoughtfully. We need to plan with urgency. We need to plan with literally covenanting, saying, oh God, for this we have come. Decide in your heart that in all your circumstances, and some of you have difficult circumstances, and that on a daily basis in all your circumstances, the Father's goodness, the Father's goodness and his zest for life will be displayed by you in all circumstances. That we will reveal the goodness and the zest of life that the Father has in all our circumstances. Remember guys, we've said this before, but he is unadulteratedly, intentionally, extravagantly, good, and seeks opportunities every day to be that to me. This is hard to wrap our heads around, eh? This is not where we live. This is not where I live. There are times during the day when circumstances begin to affect me that I do not think of God like this. How I think of God is what the world sees of God. The world does not need a God who may or may not be there in times of trouble. The world does not need a God who may or may not be behind a disaster. The world does not need a God who may be good or may be bad. The world does not need a God who is neutral. There are plenty of institutions that offer the world that. I have to wrap my head around this fact that, oh God, you as a father are unadulteratedly, intentionally, extravagantly good to me. And you look for opportunities throughout the day to be that to me. When you read Matthew 7, verse 9 to 11, and I know you know these verses, but it is so important to keep going back to them. Would you as a father give your son a stone when he asks for bread? Would you as a father give your daughter a scorpion when she asks for an egg? Would you as a father give your child a serpent when he asks for a fish? If you being as evil as you are, refuse to do that to your children, then why would I not give you good gifts? How many times? As many times as is required. He has both an ability and a willingness to be good. It is not something he is because he is a father. It is something he is because he is. He did not have to have us to be good. He was good before he had us. 
He did not need to have us because he needed fellowship. He is a self-existent one who was quite happy. And as I often say, would have been as happy as he is now if he had created just a walnut. Any questions? Any thoughts on that? Guys, you've got to wrap your heart around this. It's very difficult to think of a God like this. One of, the, one of the most successful ploys of the enemy is can we question God's goodness? It started in the garden with Eve. Really? You think he's that good? Don't you realize that what he's doing is just so you don't get to become like him? Suspicion cast on the face of God is an old trick. The intent is always, can I whisper in your ear and convince you that he is not all that he says he is? Yeah, how does it work that Christians are starving because of COVID? Guys, like I always refer you to uh, one of Jeevan's uh, little boys in Nandigama, where he asked me a question, and this is a really poor kid who has a shirt with two buttons and a safety pin. And he asks me, I'm telling them about how good God is, and he turns around and says to me, why is it that a good God has such poor, desperate children? And I told him I'd get back to him ne the next day because I didn't have an answer. It was uh, a simple but ridiculously theological question. And so the next day, I hear the story and, uh, of, of what happened with this kid. He goes back to his room because it was a camp. Young kid, must be this small. How old was he, Jeevan? Eight, nine, ten? Nine years old. And so he has two shirts. And he gives one of his shirts to his... Um, friends who has a shirt that has absolutely no buttons. So he gives his shirt with two buttons to his friend who has a shirt with no buttons because he has an extra shirt. And then he says to the child, uh, the reason that God's uh, uh, children are poor is because God's rich children do not share what they have with their poor children. I mean, I, I always think that if, 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 and we'll come to that later, if, if I empty myself, there will be many who will have enough. If we forgo one aircraft carrier, if we forgo three F-18s, if we forgo the Oculus Quest, if we forgo driving a decent car, there's no limit to how much can be provided. I'm not asking that you forgo it. I'm just saying there are ways that the entire earth can be taken care of very easily. Day before yesterday, the earth reached what is called, I forgot the name, it's something like a zero point, where the earth exceeded um, in consumption what it produces. It was on August 23rd. Last year it was on July 27th. In, uh, in 1980, it was December 29th. Why? Because the earth is consuming more than it produces. And they measure it every year. This year, uh, two days ago, the earth had already consumed more than it produces. Because of COVID, we managed to eke out an extra month. The point being that there will be no dearth. Hey, the, the, the New Testament church functioned like this, guys. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 4, what does it say? They had no poor amongst them. Why didn't they have any poor amongst them? Because those that had brought their 
property brought their monies together and they laid it at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed. So that 2 Corinthians 8 may come to pass. And what does 2 Corinthians 8 say? Those that went out to collect manna, nobody had too much, nobody had too less. And then it goes on to say that Paul says, listen Aaron, today let your plenty supply Jacob's lack so that tomorrow Jacob's plenty will supply your lack. There is an economy in the New Testament that is crafted by God that can solve at least problems of poverty within the church. Whether the world will take it on is out of question, as far as I know. But in the church, it can work. Guys, besides being good, God has a zest for life. Huh? God has a zest for life. Participate in the glorious aliveness of the Father. Participate in the glorious aliveness of the Father. We don't. We don't. Participate in the glorious aliveness of the Father. This is the only way that a post-COVID world will see that God is different from what he used to be before COVID hit. John 1.4 says that in him was life and that life was the light of man. Hey, it should show there's an aliveness that comes when you participate with the Father. He's a life giver. You have no idea how much God loves life, how much he loves beetles, how much he loves birds, how much he loves colors, how much he loves sky, how much he loves leaves. When he began to create, the morning stars began to sing and the angels sang. He loves life. This is something about Tate that I always think of. Whenever I think of Tate, the first thing that comes to mind is that boy loves life. And that if he steps into a forest, the birds will start to sing. Will the trees clap their hands and will the birds begin to sing? Will the animals do cartwheels when you enter a forest? Because there is something about God's life that if it is in you and you begin to explore and express, will cause nature to resonate. Participate in the aliveness, in the glorious aliveness of the Father. He has such a zest for life. C.S. Lewis in his book, um, The Magician's Nephew, uh, writes about Aslan the lion standing and uh, beginning to sing. And as he begins to sing, when he has deep tones in his singing, suddenly you see trees begin to spring up on the edge of the hills. And then when there are these lilting tones in Aslan's voice, roses begin to spring up. And then Aslan makes this amazing statement. He says, creatures, I give you yourselves, said the strong, happy voice of Aslan. I give to you forever this land of Narnia. I give you the woods, I give you the fruits, I give you the rivers, I give you the stars, and I give you myself. I give yourself I give you yourselves. The greatest gift you have, guys, is your life. Just imagine it. Because I have life, I can discover the Father. And I can discover him to the same extent that Jesus discovered him. It is the greatest gift you can get. Life itself is such a precious gift. At some point, he said, Jacob, I give you Jacob. And he released me. He willed me into existence. And when I turned away from him, he went to Ezekiel 16, 6, found me lying in my blood, and he looked at me, picked me up, and he said, live! And I began to live again. 
There is a zest to God's life that we possess that the earth must begin to see. They must begin to see it, guys. And then the creatures and the mountains and the hills begin to respond back to Aslan. I give you yourself. Jacob, I give you Jacob. That I exist is a gift because I'm able to know the father like the son knows him. You should read uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 from the message. It kind of gets you the meaning of it. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 from the message. Sometimes the message captures certain things ah, that are so beautiful. Uh, verse 27, sorry. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation. Coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. And I love this next line, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Beautiful, eh? That Jesus is willing to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. So that we begin to taste, savor, enjoy for the rest of eternity the discovery of the life of the Father. Begin to express or reveal the goodness of God. But first begin to walk in it. You cannot ever display anything that isn't working in your lab. And your circumstances really don't matter, guys, when it comes to these things. The unadulterated, intentional, extravagant goodness of God and his ability and willingness to do it again and again and again and again. Second, his zest for life. His zest for life. You must capture it. It is within you. I sometimes think that decay and death is brought into our lives through two things since the beginning of time, through rebellion and through distorted sexuality. It has always been the case. First there was rebellion. I mean, can you imagine what life in Eden was? Can you imagine it? If things are as beautiful as they are right now, what was it in Eden? What did BC look like? before the fall, if it looks as stunning as it is now. If you can't handle, handle my handsomeness now, imagine what it was like before the fall. You're supposed to laugh at that. Okay. I'll hold up a card. <laughs> so guys, rebellion and distorted sexuality always has the ability to mutate the essence of who God made you. Rebellion was used in Genesis 1 and it just mutated the essence of who Adam was, the essence of who Eve was. And then in Genesis 6, there's such a distortion of sexuality. And by the, I, I mean, I'm talking about, um, it doesn't matter um, whether it's heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, it doesn't matter. Once 
sexuality was distorted in Genesis 6. It somehow damaged the essence of man. And with it comes such decay. And not, the decay is one thing, but the abject sadness that descends upon a human when that happens is unfathomable, guys. And the only way to deal with that is to disguise it in falsehoods and um, expressions that supposedly make a few nerves in your body feel better. That's about it. Hey, Christians, you're a different species, man. You've got to recapture the zest for life that God as Father has given you. We must show it, eh? And please don't show it in here, because I already know you belong to him. Show it out there. I mean, show it here, but it's only for two hours. I knew a <laughs> preacher, I could never stand it. And I'd usually be sitting in the front row because I was a guest speaker. And he would have the entire church go, all right now, let's be joyful. And then uh, uh, everyone get ready. And then he would go, repeat after me. And so everybody had to repeat, ha ha. <laughs> and then I'd be sitting in the front row and the cameras are usually on you if you're the guest speaker, right? So you have to go, ha ha. And then, ha 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 ha. And then the entire church will go, ha, 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 ha. And this is the joy of the Lord. That is not what this means. Thank God I don't try it here. Huh? Guys, this week, can you decide? I mean, every week we've had homework. This is your homework this week. Can you this week hear him sing over you? Can you this week hear him sing over you? When you get up in the morning, can you turn to Zephaniah 3.17? And allow God to do what he says in Zephaniah 3.17. I know it's a very popular verse. Zephaniah 3.17. Um, it says there. Your God is present among you, a strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you back. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his songs. Or he'll sing over you with uh, uh, delight. Can you this week, every morning, uh, I always have a head start on you guys because uh, I know what I'm going to preach. And so this week, can you hear him sing over you? Go and ask him, Father, so what are you singing over me today? I had the strangest thing that he sang over me today. He, he, he sang over me saying, Jacob, you're faithful. I'm thinking to myself, but that's what I say to you, that you are faithful. And here is God saying to me, hey, Jacob, you are faithful. Faithful you are and faithful you've been all these years. You are faithful. You know what that does to you when God begins to say stuff like that? It does the same thing to you that a parent does to a child when the parent looks at the child and says, you're the best thing that happened to me. Rips your heart off, polishes it, puts it back, and you become like um, the Iron Man with a new thingy. That was a bad example, but uh, <laughs> it was supposed to go the right way. Go ahead. Yep. You want to use the mic? Yeah, you do, because you usually say, please use the mic. Come, use the mic. No, you have to come and stand here because otherwise people won't hear. Yeah, I mean, do it for the sake of others.
Bless, he's going to come and stand with me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, when, when we were singing earlier, um, your presence is heaven to me, because uh, Jacob was talking about God singing back, and um, God repeated that right back, like your presence is heaven to me. And I wasn't quite sure what to do with that, and it's, so that's, I'm still working on that, but that was what it was. Thank you. Guys, and uh, whenever someone makes a statement like this, you have to go and see, is there a scripture to um, substantiate it? There are so many places in the Bible where God turns to the, his people and he says, you are my portion. We always think he is our portion, and it is true. But he so many times turns to us and says, but you are my portion. You are my inheritance. So this week, every morning, get up and ask, not, not get up and ask, get up and hear what he's singing over you. Write it down. Don't be surprised if it is really good, because he has a better opinion of me than I do of myself. And as, he, as you go through this process over the next seven days, you'll find that it stirs up in you the aroma of life that Yahweh has given you. It stirs up in you the aroma of life. When God begins to do this, it's literally like stirring up the aroma of life in you. If you go to 2 Corinthians 2.15, it talks about that. 2 Corinthians 2.15. Again, unless I tell you I'm reading from the message. Uh, not because it's my favorite version, but it, it's just clicking today. 2 Corinthians 2.15. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma redolent, how do you pronounce R-E-D-O-L-E-N-T? Redolent with life. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma redolent with life. Beautifully. The second thing is we will reveal the Son. The first is we will reveal the Father's goodness and his zeal for life. The next one is we will reveal the Son. We will reveal the Son displaying, displaying his works by the Spirit. We will reveal the Son displaying his works displaying his hey uh, Derek we need new pens man displaying his works by the spirit we will reveal the sun what are we saying hey for a post-covid landscape the church has to behave differently it must reveal the works of the sun it must reveal the works of the sun words ain't enough and anyways, all of Jesus' words were backed up by his works. We will reveal the Son displaying his works by the Spirit. Luke chapter 7, 19 to 22. Luke 7, 19 to 22. Here's what's happening. John the Baptist is in prison. He sends two of his disciples to uh, check with Jesus because he's hearing things about Jesus that aren't fitting with his Jewish mindset. And so he sends two people to ask Jesus, are you the real Messiah? And so here is Jesus' reply. He says, tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have God's salvation hospitality extended to them. 
Let me say that again. Tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have God's salvation hospitality extended to them. One more time. <coughs> Tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have God's salvation hospitality extended to them. The post-COVID world must see through this church and through other churches the works of God by the power of the Spirit of God. The only way to let that happen is to actually risk it and to be foolish. If you're not foolish, it will not happen. That's what happens when you play cricket. If you're not foolish, it does not happen. Hey, pray over anything that moves that has a disease. Ask, but pray. Your batting average goes up like crazy when you bat more. Whenever I come to this verse, I look at Marcus and I think to myself, my God, I don't need proof. God can do anything. She started already. I got another 20 minutes to go. I mean, Marcus was lying dead outside the uh, pavement. And God raised him back to life after three, three and a half minutes. After seeing that, anything is possible. Go to Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. Hey, Marcus, do you share it with people? What happens to them when you share it? Like, when you, when you say to people, what is their reaction? I've never been there when you're talking to somebody about it. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that special treatment only for you, Diana. So Matthew 10. Uh, I, I just want to go through some scriptures that reveals the son uh, and how we reveal the son by displaying his works. Because these are commands given to us in the Bible. Matthew 10, verse um, 7 and 8. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It is not a suggestion, it's a command. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Mark 16, 17 and 18. Mark 16, 17, and 18. Familiar passage. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Everything is a will, not a perhaps. They will get well. 
This is how you show a post-COVID world, a church or a people that become essential to livelihood and living. Let's look at another scripture. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Another familiar passage. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jacob of Vancouver with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Do you doubt that? I don't. How God anointed Jacob of Vancouver with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. You have to take that scripture and put your name there because of the Christ who lives in you. Go over these scriptures again and again so that in your heart you know that, aha, I must reveal the Son by displaying his works done through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at another one. Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. Acts 26, verse 17 and 18. Acts 26, 17 and 18. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. These are some of the mandates given us. And the next one I really like because it follows right after Jesus finishes 40 days in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. It's drawn from Isaiah 61 with a few changes because it's a year of God's favor. Luke chapter 4, verse 17 onwards. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. These are the works of God. They reveal the Son. What happens when we go down this route, guys, is that in the process of revealing the Son through the works of God, men are drawn to Jesus Christ because he is lifted up. The Spirit of God begins to flow because he's been pleading, saying, Jacob, out of you shall flow rivers of living water. Can you go and do something? And then the third thing is, in the process of revealing the Son, you always reveal the Father, because it's in the revealing of the Son that the Father is revealed. Any questions? Any questions? Guys, we've got to be really... Um, it's like being a salesman who's so convinced about what he's selling that he'll do anything to prove to people that this product works. It's not because he's getting a commission, but because his father happens to have invented the product. Anything that is damaged, diseased, demonized, decaying, or dying requires your touch. Anything that is damaged, diseased, decaying, demonized, or dying requires your touch. Why? Because you now participate in the glorious aliveness of the Father and you have become a life giver because you draw your life from him. You become the reservoir through which he flows. 
You're trying to say something, Betty? Was that a worldly song? Okay, moving on. The next thing is, guys, we need to learn to think, inhabit, and display the keeping power of God. We need to learn to think, inhabit, and display the keeping power of God. We need to think, learn, inhabit, and display the keeping power of God. Oh man, I wish the church had learned this before COVID. We've always been a people who are supposed to keep others. We are a people who have been kept by God. One of the favorite things that God would say throughout the Old Testament is, I will keep you, I will keep you, I will keep you. We were supposed to be ones that keep God. The Old Testament and the New Testament have stories of being kept by the people of God. You go to Goshen, Exodus 8.22. And how do we do this? We do it by the word of our mouth, by faith, by practice. Not word of our mouth, by the word. It is possible to become a people that others run to in times of trouble because in you is refuge because of the one who is the great refuge. In you is a hiding place because you have made him your hiding place. People come to use for safety. Ex Exodus 8.22 But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I the Lord am in this land. Where is that God, man? Look at the words he's using. I will make a difference. And I will show you I am in the land. A place of safety, eh? But the church has been rendered almost as fearful as any other institution. It's, it's common sense not to pick up a rattlesnake. But it doesn't mean that we don't venture out because there are snakes. You don't pick it up unless you're told to. So there might be, there are places where you exert that kind of sense, but not at the I don't know if you remember what we preached in March. Resist some of the things that are happening at present, regardless of how many times they happen. Learn how to live by the law of the land, but resist fear. Here's another scripture. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. Daniel 6. What happened? Phoebe. What's happening? Daniel chapter 6. Oi! Daniel chapter 6, verse 20. When he came near the den, 
he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And then go to verse 26. He, he realizes what has happened because Daniel replies and then he says, I issue a decree, verse 26, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will, be, will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. This is the story that people begin to write, that Jacob's God rescues people from the power of lions. Ruth's God rescues people from COVID. Liddy's God rescues people from disease. But these are the ways that we become a people who keep. And we got to prove it, eh? Saying it ain't enough, it must be proven. And proving requires taking a risk. Let's look at another one. Paul, Acts chapter 28, verse 2 to 9. Acts chapter 28, verse 2 to 9. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat uh, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice is not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we need. Essential service. Essential service. We got to go down this route, man. Got to go down this route. I, I'm not even going to touch Psalm 91 because we read about Psalm 91. When you read Psalm 91, 4 to 10, you see that we are a people who keep and a people who must keep. Oh, sorry, a people who are kept and a people who must keep. Okay, any questions? Guys, even if this is not your experience yet, even if you don't see God this way yet, prove him. Prove him. Tomorrow, prove him. But Jacob, what if I fail? Get up day after tomorrow and try proving him again. Because he is faithful. My circumstances don't determine who God is. Just because while I was praying, my dad died in my arms while I was praying and reading scripture does not mean that prayers are not powerful or that scriptures don't give life. It doesn't mean that the next person's dad will die. It means that my dad died, period. I do not know why, but that doesn't color the face of God. I will not listen to whispers that cause me to cast suspicion on the glorious aliveness and the goodness of a God who lives in the zest of life and has always been that way. 
Your circumstances don't count. I don't know how much ruder to get. They don't, they, they don't count in terms of who God is. I'm not saying your circumstances don't count. Your circumstances really matter because they are your circumstances. But they don't count in terms of who God is. That's what I'm trying to say. Next one. We'll be a people of the Spirit that gather to scatter. We will be... These are all ways to prove ourselves essential services in the future. We will not be labeled a non-essential service. It's such a sad thing. We will be a people of the Spirit. We will be a people of the Spirit who are gathered to scatter. Who are gathered to scatter. Who are gathered to scatter. A church that doesn't scatter dies strong. A church that doesn't scatter dies strong. A church that scatters empties itself out and reproduces. A church that doesn't scatter dies strong. You don't want to be a church that dies strong. You want to be a church or a people that when they come and are going to throw you into a grave, they realize that there's nothing to rob from you because you emptied yourself out. That you poured yourself out. That there is nothing left. I've been covenanting with God, literally. Saying, oh God, do not allow me to make Acts 29 a church that is strong but allow me to make Acts 29 a church that is continuously emptying itself out, pouring itself out in terms of its monies, in terms of its best, in terms of its people, in terms of its gifts and talents. Empty itself out so that it reproduces. Because at the end of the day, all multiplication is the result of the scattering of seed. All multiplication is the result of the scattering of seed. You know how a farmer scatters seed? He just puts his hand into the sack. He pulls out whatever comes in his hands. And then he goes whoosh. He doesn't go, hmm, gifted one, not gifted one, good singer, good worshiper. No, he doesn't do that. He just puts his hand in, gathers a whole lot, and scatters it this way. And they fall where they need to fall. And if the ground has been dug well, they grow. Because the seed that is in us is Christ himself, and he can grow. Genesis 1.28 if it must come to pass, will only come to pass when people scatter. If you want to be fruitful, if you want to increase in numbers, if you want to subdue the enemy, it is required that you go forth and multiply, which is the scattering. Churches that do not scatter cannot fulfill the mandate of Genesis 1.28. I mean, Mark and Rhonda and the kids will be going by September 10th or so. Next week, we were supposed to do it this week, but decided to move it on to next week, where we'll send them off. Scatter them. I pray, God, that I prepare my heart to let you be scattered so that we'll have to find some new guy to do sound. We'll have to find another worship leader. It's the only way to multiply. It is the only way to fulfill the Genesis mandate. 
If you want to subdue the enemy, if you want to multiply, if you want to increase in fruit, if you want to um, be fruitful, increase and subdue the enemy, it is impossible to do without being scattered. Starting next month, we've been on this route for a while, but I covenant with God that, oh God, for the post-COVID landscape, make us a people of the spirit that only gather to be scattered. Because there is no other reason for the existence of a church. And in this, our house churches have failed. We don't reproduce, we just get stronger. And I'm looking forward to sitting on Zoom this week with a few of you who are going to get a Zoom link saying, hey, wanted to tell you I got something new for you to do so that you get scattered. Look forward to it. Wally, Wally awaits us. We'll think about it next week. You know what God is saying literally to us through this, um, um, through this point? Guys, he's saying that he'll open up ancient doors for us if we as a church decide we live to be scattered. Open up ancient doors for us in different parts of the world if we choose to be scattered. I think I'll take eight minutes more. You got any questions? I love the fact that some of you are willing to go and settle in Wally. I love the fact that you're looking for uh, um, 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 property to start businesses in Wally. You guys are nuts. Who does stuff like that? But for this reason we live, right? Next one, be like the sons of Issachar. Be like the sons of Issachar. Be like the sons of Issachar in the post-COVID landscape. Be like the sons of Issachar. They had the ability to reveal times and seasons and then do what was necessary in those times and seasons. They knew what time they were in. They knew the season they were in. And then they had the ability to do what was required. What happened? Uh, I mean, I, I question Acts 29. We are supposedly a prophetic church. What happened to the prophetic church? What happened to the prophets in, the, in Christendom? How come nobody saw the COVID thing coming? Now everybody is grasping for straws. I had said two years ago that a dark time will come. Really? How come an event that literally froze the earth was not known by the church? God is not nebulous in his speaking, eh? He doesn't speak in vague riddles. He actually says that in Isaiah. I don't speak in vague riddles. In Amos chapter 3 verse 7, he says that I like telling my prophets what is going to happen, what I'm planning to do. God likes to tell what he's planning to do. In the Old Testament, he used to say through prophets. Now he still uses prophets, but he prefers speaking through a prophetic people. What happened to us? How come we didn't hear this? We heard about different nations. May we have that ability to be like the sons of Issachar who know their times and seasons because our ears are tuned not just to how God will do well for us, but how God will do well on the earth. 
First Chronicles 12-27 is where we hear about Issachar. They knew their times. They knew how to position themselves. They knew what to do. Is this uncommon in the Bible? You read Psalm 105 verse 17 to 22 and you see that there was a man called Joseph. That he was shackled. That a word was given to him. And the word came to pass. And that he became the prince of Egypt. That he was one who governed over its nobles. He was the one who caused the children of Jacob to survive. A man sent before the famine. That's in the Old Testament. You look at the New Testament in, in Acts chapter 11, you find a man called Agabus, a prophet, who knew that there was a famine coming during the time of Claudius. And the famine came, and he prepared the church to collect what was necessary for the poorer churches of Judea and Samaria. This was common. What happened to us? Guys, sometimes, you know, when the church deviates from being the pillar and the foundation of truth, and you can't afford it now, huh? Acts 29 and other churches that go down this road have to, like 2 Timothy 3.15 says, become a pillar and the foundation of truth in, in, in an environment that is combative. And when I say combative, I mean one of the things the church faces today is power, wealth, and heresy. And you can't stand drawn by power, wealth, and heresy and then prophesy accurately. You cannot stand prophesying power, wealth, and heresy and have your ears open to hear what God is doing on the earth. It is one or the other. 2 Timothy 3.15 says that the church must be the pillar and the foundation of truth. Once a church decides that it doesn't matter what, we will stand for the sheer truth of God and wrestle with it, grapple with it, and will not fall for the seduction of power, politics, money, mammon, wealth, or heresy that tickles the ears of people, those people will begin to hear God well. American Christianity lies at the feet of power and wealth and heresy. And a heresy that tickles the ears of people. Begin to walk like that and you will hear, you will become, not hear, you will become the voice from the wilderness that prepares the way of the Lord. Last point. Be a people who provoke a response. Be a people who provoke a response. Why? Because God is with us. Be a people. Become a people. Become a people during this post-COVID era. Stand as a people in this post-COVID landscape who provoke a response. Who provoke a response. Why? Because God is with us. What do I mean by that? Guys, if you look at the New Testament, or look at Jesus' life, you'll find, uh, I mean, before I go there, 1 Kings 18, verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21. Here's what happens. I know you know this. Elijah says, who will you serve? Will you serve Yahweh or will you serve Baal? And guess what the people said? Nothing. Somehow, we, we've, we've neutered ourselves so badly that it doesn't matter what the church will say, nobody responds. Because the first five points that I wrote down or we've written down have not been met. Why should anyone listen? 
And then you go to 1 Kings 18.39. What has happened by now in the last 18 verses? Fire fell. And now Elijah asks the same question. Who will you serve? Yahweh or Baal? We'll serve Yahweh, we'll serve Yahweh. And they slaughter all the prophets of Baal. But 18 verses ago, the guys did not say a word. The thing with the church in the New Testament was it was either feared, favored, or hated. But no one was neutral. It was feared, favored, or hated. We don't have any such problems. We are not feared, we are not favored, we are not hated. The only favor we get is a charitable receipt. Feared, favored, hated. Feared, you see it in Acts chapter 19, verse 17. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. It says there, this is after the seven sons of Sceva were beaten up. Uh, verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. There was sufficient reverence of fear for the church. Next, the church was favored. You read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says there that um, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, all people. And every time there was fear or favor, look what would happen. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. See, all these, these three things always add numbers. If they fear you, numbers will be added. If they favor you, numbers will be added. If they hate you, numbers will be added. If they are neutral about you, numbers stay where they are. You have to have people come with babies before the church begins to grow. Hated. You go to Acts chapter 7, verse 54, you'll see there was sheer hatred that spills over into eight chapter, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, 54, when they heard, this is Stephen speaking about Jesus Christ, when they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. But you read at the end of Acts chapter 8 that the church again begins to grow, because in the hatred was scattering. Plead with God, saying, Father, in the coming year, could you please make sure that Acts 29 is either favored, feared, or hated, but that it is not accepted neutrally. Jesus put it very clearly in John 17 when he said, if you begin to think like me, you will be hated. He actually says that. Father, I give them to your hands. The world will hate them just as the world has hated me, because I have given them your word. So make sure, as individuals, that you banish complacency. 
Now that might be a little easy for Acts 29, but here's the other tough one, banish self-preservation. Banish self-preservation. Banish self-preservation. Try everything in your power not to preserve yourself. Preserving self never ends up with emptying. Preserving self always ends up with gaining. Self-preservation has never been the secret to emptying or pouring out. I honor and respect some of you guys. I marvel at how you empty yourself out, how you do not preserve, how you give away. Sometimes I'm jealous of the way you've done it. May you keep increasing and may the rest of us join you in banishing self-preservation. Because these are the two things that have the ability to neuter or render us non-essential. Whenever the church decides to be complacent and does not take an extreme position, whenever the church engages in self-preservation so that they become fat cats in fat pews, it always renders the church non-essential and it neuters the church, it castrates the church. This is horrible scripture in Zephaniah 112. Zephaniah 112. You're going and looking at books we never look at. Zephaniah 112. Oh man, may this not be said of us, eh? I'm reading it from the message. On judgment day, I'll search through every closet and alley in Vancouver. I'll find and punish those who are sitting it out, fat and lazy, amusing themselves and taking it easy, who think God doesn't do anything good or bad. He isn't involved, so neither are we. Instead, in the post-COVID landscape that awaits us, and we only have to go down this road for another three weeks, and then the 40 days are over, may you continue fasting, may you continue drawing aside, may you continue doing whatever it takes to have an encounter with God and get a fresh revelation of Him. But in the post-COVID landscape that awaits, I pray God that Ruth the Moabitess will seek you out and say, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. This must happen on an individual basis amongst your neighbors so that the Moabitess comes out and seeks you and says, take me to your God. The church functions through the people, through its saints. And every saint must have what uh, Zechariah 8.23 puts as, and 10 Jews will come and tug at the sleeve, tug at your sleeve saying, take us with you because we have heard that God is with you. You should read that, Zechariah 8.23. It's such a cool scripture. Zechariah 8.23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all, not ten, not, not, uh, ten Jews, ten men from all languages and nations. It's a typical Vancouver-like city. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 
10 men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. What a resounding scripture, man. Cool. If you don't say cool, I'll go on. Cool? Oh my God, what a response. So remember guys, I um, keep going over this. Goodness of the Father, works of the Son, kept by God, scattered by the Spirit, Issachar generation, returning with Ruth. Goodness of God, goodness and zest, goodness and life of God. Works of the sun displayed. Kept by God and therefore keepers of men. Um, scattered by the Spirit. Issachar generation return with Ruth the Moabitess. Or in other words, let them say, your God, could your God be my God? Could your God be my God? Learn it. Go over it again and again. Let these things settle in your head. And remember this week, make sure you go and ask, hey, Father, what are you singing over me today? Listen to it. Write it down. Let it stir up the zest for life that he has and the zest for life that you should have because his life is in you. Yeah? Um, the only other thing I want you to do, I won't do it now, No, I won't do it now. Uh, is go read Zechariah 8. Eh? It was given to us in September of last year as an inheritance passage. We were at um, Josh and Charlene's house and I read it out the first time. And at that time, there were a few of us there and I, uh, and I felt the Lord saying that, listen, this is an inheritance passage for you, Acts 29. Uh, and um, in hindsight, when you read it, you see so many lines of hope in Zechariah 8, given our present context. Um, I know I've read it before, but some of the lines are, this is what the Lord Almighty says, once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says, it may seem marvelous to the remnant, uh, but will it seem marvelous to me? And then he goes on to say, um, before this time, there were no wages for man or beast. No one could go about his business safely because of the enemy. But now I will not deal with you that way. The seed will grow, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, the heaven will drop dew. Go read Zechariah 8 a couple of times during the week. And we'll talk about it next week, perhaps, and see what God wants, wanted to say in September and what we probably didn't see and what we need to see. Yeah, let's pray.
Father, I, I think some of the stuff that we are talking about is really you. It's not even like a sermon or a teaching. It's like, uh, it's like a current word or a present truth that you want to enrich our hearts with. And so we receive it, Abba. We receive it. I receive it, Lord. And having received it, uh, I ask for faith to believe it as something that you want us to explore, work at, display. Spirit of God, I believe the soil in this room is really good. So I disallow birds from taking away the seeds that have been sown. I chase them away in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that we won't let this word just lie, but that we'll water it by going over it perhaps once or twice. Go over this um, acronym or whatever the thing is called. Uh, it's not, but you know what I mean, Abba. And that it would take root and that we would begin to show the world that we are an essential group of people because God is with us. So that what happened this time will never happen again. Never happen again. These things are beyond me, beyond us. But these things are absolutely doable. This is the desire, the yearning of the Holy Spirit. And this is your, your pleasure, your pleasure to give us a kingdom. Do that, Spirit of God. Do that. So I thank you now as we go. Father, let none of us die with things intact, but completely emptied and poured out. Let that be said of the people of Acts 29. There was nothing to take from them because they were empty. In Jesus' name, amen.